and welcome to Bad Decisions. The podcast that helps us understand why we choose what we choose, why we think what we think, and how to exploit this stuff for fun and commercial gain. I'm Dr. Mel Weinberg. I'm a performance psychologist. And I'm Dan Monheit, co-founder of Hard Hat, a creative agency built for today. You did it. I did it. Now you do it, cops. So Dan, for this episode, I want to welcome you to Mel's Casino. Hey, hey. it's great to be here. <laughs> so here's the situation, all right? We're flipping coins. All right, <laughs> so this, this is a decidedly low-budget casino. <laughs> this is a coin toss game. Yes. And I have just flipped the coin three times and yep. it has resulted in three heads. Yep. Your job for a million dollars is to tell me whether you think that the next coin will be a head or a tail. So we've had heads, heads, heads. Yep. Due for a tail. I'm going with tails. You think you're due for a tails? Due for a tails. Willing to bet your life savings on it. I thought I was betting a million dollars that wasn't mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can go with that. Okay. Either way. So you reckon let's keep the, the next show one's going <laughs> to be tails. Your tails. Yes. Heads, 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 tails. All yes. right. Okay. So now I want to switch things up a little bit mm-hmm. and I want you to go in your crazy imagination to the NBA playoffs. Okay. I'm there. You are. Dan Monheit. Yes. You are a 50% shooter from the field. Wait, I'm playing in the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, this is good. Okay, yeah. yes. This is easy for you to imagine. Oh, yeah. You're right there. Yes. Okay. You're a 50% shooter from the field. Yes. You've just hit your last three shots. That's good. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yep. this is NBA playoffs. Yeah. So normally when I think about playing basketball, I'm on the bench, but this is good. I'm in the game. <laughs> I'm hitting shots. I've hit three in a row. It's very realistic. Okay. So I've hit three in a row. Feeling good. All right. Coach Mel calls a timeout. Right, going to draw up a play. Yep. Well, you need a shot to win. Yep. You've just hit your last three. Yep. Should I put the ball in your Give hands? Give me the ball. Get out of the way. <laughs> Turn my night for the buzzer beater to win. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you will back yourself every time. Well, I've seen three in a row. Yeah, but you see, when we just flipped three heads in a row, you were pretty convinced that the fourth one was going to be a tails. Because we were due for tails. We were due for tails. And this time? Yeah. Well, it's different. Okay, yeah. I can tell. No, Why? I'm not a coin. Right, who are three, you? I've hit three in a <laughs> You're row. superstar bench player Dan Monheit right here. I'm no longer bench player. Sorry. Yes, this was my coming out party. <laughs> so what we're talking about here, what we're talking about today, what we've tried to just illustrate is the idea of the hot hand fallacy. This is not a fallacy. I actually had a hot hand. I hit three in a row and I'm going to hit the fourth. Remember, this was your imagination. Let's 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 come back. Let's okay. bring you back into the podcast. All right. The hot hand fallacy is the belief that we're – going to be more successful in future attempts if we've been successful in past attempts. I think NBA Jam has a lot to answer for in this fallacy. He's on fire. Cue the audio. Oh, yeah. well, it's good. Boom, shakalaka. Come on. So I'll tell you what, Dr. Mel, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I, I don't know. I have some thoughts about this. Yeah, you're allowed. I'm allowed to have thoughts. <laughs> With the fact that it's a fallacy, like I totally get it for your first example, when Mm -hmm. we're tossing coins or doing other completely random games, so maybe roulette or something else like that, where we know anybody that's done year nine maths understands that each event is completely independent and has nothing to do with the previous event. And we kind of construct this story that we're on fire. Yep. And I think actually casinos kind of know this and tap into it. We're like at a roulette wheel, they actually put up what the last 20 spins or last 40 spins have been to sort of help people construct a story. Yeah, about that's what's not going. to actually give you information. Yeah. It's actually to mess with your mind. Yeah. Got it. So, you know, that's a thing that we do. But is it sport different? Like in sport, it's not 
completely random. Like if I have just hit three shots in a row, there's probably some things working in my favor. Mm -hmm. So like my confidence is probably feeling better. My teammates might be looking for me. Yeah. And maybe some things working against me as well. Yeah. Like maybe the defense trying to close out. 100%. 100%. Or maybe taking stupid shots because my confidence is up. Yeah, well, your shot difficulty changes, right? Yeah. With each one. What you're saying is that there are two different scenarios here, right? One's when we're talking about casino type stuff, mostly down to chance, right? Yeah. So the odds are 50-50 in those scenarios no matter what. Yeah. Whereas in the heat of a game, yeah. yeah, there's so many other things that could influence whether or not you're going to make the shot. Exactly. So with the casino stuff, like we don't, I'm sure there is research, but we don't really need research to know if that's a thing. We know it's completely random and we all know that we make up stories to tell ourselves that it's not because we're all special snowflakes and we need to construct a narrative where the world makes sense around us. We'll see that last bit. I'm not sure about being special snowflakes, but we certainly do need to construct narratives as how the world operates because we need to have meaning in our world. It gives us a sense of familiarity, predictability. It would be really uncomfortable for us to live in a world where we had no idea what was going to happen next. So we tend to make patterns out of random things. Yeah, like how people see Jesus on toasted cheese sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. We see faces. Exactly. We see them in the clouds. Yes, and we're wired to do that. You know, as a baby, one of the first things you get to do is recognise what a face looks like. So it makes sense. We see patterns and repeated things everywhere we look. So next time you see Jesus in the bark of a tree, you're completely normal. Exactly. But with sport, I guess it's it's kind of different, right? Like... Is it a fallacy or really is there a hot hand? Well, so now we're going to enter ourselves into an argument that has been going for about the last 35 years. It started with a piece of research in 1985 by Gilovich, Valone and Tversky. Did you say Tversky? Yeah. Because if there is a hot hand in research, this guy has it. He's basically on a, on a bad decisions hot streak. He's been mentioned in every single episode. But here's the thing. When you get to be as good as Tversky was, you get to do really cool things with your research. Such as? Well, they spent their time. Like This is so totally different to my experience in academia. Well, it's a little bit because I did watch a lot of basketball when I was in academia. Yeah. But they basically just got to look at and analyse the statistics of basketball games. So in 1985, they were looking at the shooting records of the Philadelphia 76ers. Jordan's rookie season. And what they were trying to do was look at whether shooters were more likely to make a shot depending on the result of their previous shot. So they were trying to determine if I just made a shot, am I more likely or less likely than average to hit the following shot? Yep. And here's the thing. When they asked both the players and the fans watching the game if they were more likely to make the next shot after just hitting the previous one, everybody was like, yeah, definitely more likely to. Yeah. Actually, what the research found was that there was no evidence for the influence or the suggested idea of a hot hand. The hot hand was a fallacy and the hot hand didn't actually exist. Well, that's upsetting. Isn't it? (laughs) It's like really upsetting. (laughs) Sorry, imaginary Dan in the NBA playoffs. Apparently you are not a thing. But also just like as a guy watching sport, you kind of like to think that this is happening, right? Well, yeah, it makes it entertaining. It makes it fun, of course. Yeah. Yeah, crowd goes nuts when somebody's hit three in a row. Exactly. So it leads to the question, I mean, you said this is a contentious issue, so we've got a paper in 1985 that says, no, this is absolutely not a thing. Surely it can't end there. Well, so then there was a whole bunch of other studies that came out to replicate it, right? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you've got all these coaches going, nah, and elite sports people going, nah, I don't believe this. I don't care what your statistics show. I know that if I'm feeling hot, God damn it, I am feeling hot. Yep. Right? Now, for 30 years this research stood, right? There was no 
such thing as a hot hand in basketball or in sport. Well, maybe not according to academics and statisticians. Right, according to everybody else. And so a couple of researchers came out they're like, nah, this has got to be a thing and we are going to show you that it is a thing. We're going to keep researching this until we get it right. And we are going to keep watching basketball games and calling it research for as long as we possibly can. I see where you're going here. (laughs) So um, in 2014, some researchers from Harvard came out with a study. They're smart, I mean, they're from Harvard, right? They came out with a study where they looked at 83,000 shots in the NBA. Tough gig. Yeah, and they incorporated all these factors that weren't included in the earlier study. So they were looking at factors that contribute to shot difficulty, mm-hmm. like the things we were talking about, like is another defender there, how far are you from the ring, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. what point in time is it in the game. And what they found was that there was actually some evidence for uh-huh. the idea of a hot hand. Hey, see? <laughs> if, if you if look you long enough. Exactly, you, <laughs> you will find, find it's in the data somewhere. So currently, as it stands, the hot hand is not a fallacy. The hot hand is actually an effect. Right. And like, what are we talking here? Like, how much more likely am I to hit my fourth shot if I've just hit the last three? So here's the thing. The effect sizes were marginal. Uh, I'm talking like an extra one or two percent. But look, if you think about it in the context of sport, like I always say, in sport, sometimes it's the smallest differences that have the biggest impact. I guess thinking back to what we were saying earlier about our desire to want to create stories around this stuff, maybe the reality is you only have a 1% or 2% difference in mm-hmm. likelihood of hitting a shot. But when you add on to that a bit of extra swagger from the player, the crowd going off and cheering the person's name because they've just hit three in a row, the commentators starting to talk up that they have not seen a shooting streak like this at this court since you know December 1987 and this is one of the greatest performances they're likely to see, all of a sudden the story fits uh, even if the reality is eh, questionable. Right, the perception is way more fun. Yeah, Just- and, and we want it, right? We want the story. It's a much more enjoyable experience to watch a game where there actually is momentum and there are hot streaks than when it's all just a bunch of random shot attempts. Right. So let's break this down into a couple of reasons why we might fall for this, okay? Why we might think the hot hand fallacy is a thing. So in addition to it just being more fun to believe in, I'll give you a couple of other reasons why we tend to think this way. The first is the fundamental attribution error, which is the idea that when good things happen, we attribute them to internal characteristics of ourselves, yep. right? So when you've just hit three shots in a row, you're thinking, I'm hot, Yep. right? I am on fire. Yep. The flip side of that is that when bad things happen, we don't think that had anything to do with us, That's- right? We'll put that down to things like chance or bad luck. Exactly. And so if we think about that example, like in the casino where, you know, if we are losing you know, or we get three heads in a row, we think we're, we're due for a tails. Yeah, it's or, not because there's something wrong with us. It was bad luck. Exactly. And we're due for a win. Due for a win, totally. Because we're a good person and good people deserve wins in life. Exactly. Whereas if I've just won three hands in a row, I'm probably due for a fourth. Of course, because it was <laughs> you. Because skill. It was all skill. <laughs> so the next thing that comes into play is the idea of the law of small numbers. Basically, it's the idea that when we know that something exists in the population, we Assume that it's going to also apply in a small, tiny little subsection of the population, so when we have Mm -hmm. small numbers. So, for example, if we flip a coin 100 times, we expect that we'd get 50 heads and 50 tails. Sure. Right? And the law of small numbers says that if I were to flip a coin four times, you would expect to get what? Two heads and two tails. Two heads and two tails, right? But there's just the same likelihood that we would have four heads in a row Mm -hmm. as there are that we would have... Head, head, tails, tails. Yeah. That sequence, head, 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 is exactly the same likelihood of happening as head, head, tails, tails in a small sample. Right. So what you're saying by this law of small numbers is we fail to see the sample as merely part of a much, much, much bigger, bigger experience. Population. Yeah, that's much right. bigger population. And we think that's the whole universe. Correct. 
So if we go back to your hot streak of basketball, mm-hmm. right, and you've just hit three out of three of your previous shots, mm-hmm. right, even though I know that you've missed the last 20 before that and you're not really a great shooter, right. I'm looking at that little streak and I'm only looking at that. I'm neglecting all the information prior to that and I'm neglecting your overall shooting percentage, which really, let's be honest, isn't that great. High 40s probably. And I'm just looking at the small numbers, at that little small instance that I've got there and making my judgment based on that. So you're not assessing my skill as a shooter over my lifetime. You're saying in the last three minutes, this guy's a 100% shooter. Yeah. And whenever we restrict the available range of data, Mm -hmm. we're going to make errors in estimation. Sure. The last thing that comes into play is something that we've spoken about in previous podcast episode, which is the idea of an availability bias. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which is if I want to think what the likelihood of the next thing happening is, my brain's going to search for the most recent available information and, oh, you've hit your last three shots. Well, of course you're going to make your next one. Yeah. Because that's, and probably made shots are more memorable than missed shots. Unless I missed like a really critical shot or I missed a layup or something like that. Chances are made shots are more memorable than missed shots. Right. So that's playing into that as well. Yep. So I guess with all of those things working in our favor or against our favor, it does seem pretty clear that we are excellent at constructing stories where we want to. And maybe it's further evidence of that. It seems funny that we only make the stories where we want them. So we talk about hot streaks for shooting, but we don't talk about hot streaks for other key statistics. Like nobody ever gets on a steals hot streak or a blocks hot streak or a successful inbound passes hot streak. And look, that's one of the key criticisms of this sort of research when it comes to sport, that we only look at sort of one metric or one indicator of success and we make all of our judgments about future success based on that. Whereas you say there are a whole lot of other things that could come into play that we just don't pay attention to. So the question for you, Dr. Mel, the hot hand fallacy, is it a thing or is it not a thing? Look, I think as long as we believe it's a thing, then it's a thing, right. right? Which is the point of the whole fallacy. So, Dr. Mel, the truth fairy, is it a thing or is it not a thing? Well, do you believe it's a thing? Well, if, if, if you think it, it is real. Okay. So, the hot hand fallacy is not a fallacy. The hot hand attribute is an attribute. According to the latest research, there is some evidence for a hot hand effect. All right. Well, I think we should go with that. And, I mean, at the core of it, it's because people like stories. And a few consecutive shots made or a few consecutive hands won at a poker table or a roulette wheel give us all of the ingredients we need to construct a story about how wonderfully awesome we are. They also make for good Hollywood blockbusters movies, This right? is true. About sports. Nobody's going to see a movie about a series of random shots that may <laughs> or may not go in. So how do we take this and how do we apply this understanding of a hot hand fallacy, whether it exists or not? What does it mean in the brand's world? So if we look at the, the underlying you know, ingredients for the hot hand fallacy, it's people's desire to want to create a story and a story about somebody winning. And so I guess for brands, it, it makes sense to do whatever we can to look like we're on a hot streak, mm. right? And I guess oftentimes with brands and with agencies and uh, you know, other types of organizations, we will look for big news and big wins to talk about our momentum moving forwards. Yeah. But probably a great lesson out of this is that we should be looking for any sorts of wins we can talk about, whether that's in individual performance reviews or PR and marketing we do out to, to the audience. Mm. The more made shots we can get out there, the more we're contributing to the stories people are creating in their heads about our organization or our us as an individual being on a hot streak. Yeah, you're just trying to set the tone, right? And write the narrative. 
Exactly. So talking about this, there are a couple of industries that come to mind straight away. Yep. Right. Um, and maybe uh, the umbrella over all of these is the awards industry. Right. right. And how many awards there are set up yep. just to give people good news to get themselves on hot streaks. Yep. So I've not done the research. Maybe you want to do the research. But it would seem that there are more awards for cars available than there are cars available okay. in Australia. Yep. So it seems that every car has just won car some of sort of car of the year <laughs> award for something. Yep. And they've usually won it at least four or five times in a row. Yeah. Total hot streak. Get on board with that. I think superannuation is another one Mm -hmm. where, you know, all of these different funds have been voted or recognized as a top something fund the last X number of years. And, of course, past performance, best indicator of future performance. Mm -hmm. The fund is on a hot streak. Make sure you get involved with that. See, it's funny that, right? Whether past performance is the best indicator of future performance, it totally depends. Yeah. Who knows? But, I mean... Actually, it doesn't really matter because we'd like to believe that it is. And if you look at the ads for, you know, not picking on superannuation here, but you will have the first 28 seconds of the ad talking about how amazing their past performance has been. And then the last two seconds of the ad saying past performance is not the best indicator of future performance. Basically, this whole ad was bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I should just say the ad is not bullshit. It's just the the conclusions that we know people are going to draw from that are probably bullshit. The ads are true. Don't sue me. All right. So to bring it back and really to sum up what we've been talking about, in circumstances where we don't have a whole lot of information or where complete uncertainty, right? We are we have to understand that our brain is going to look for patterns. For we're, hot streaks. We're going to look for hot streaks. We're going to look for any information that can make us feel like we're in control of whatever's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's a story that our mind has made up. Right. And clearly for completely random events, it's 100% a story. And for not completely random events, maybe sport, investment, buying and selling shares, It's like 98% a story and 1% or 2% real. It's pretty much a story. Our brain is making up stories. All right. It's all bullshit. That's a good way to end. (laughs) Actually, you know what's a better way to end? What? How do people find you on the internet? (laughs) Well, they either Google Melissa Weinberg or they can find me at Dr. Mel W. Cool. And if you're finished talking to Mel and you'd like to talk to me, you can find me at Dan Monheit. At Dan Monheit. Hashtag NBA superstar. Yes. Okay. I think that's it for today. What are we going to be talking about next time, Mel? We're going to keep the hot streak going? <laughs> we're going to have to keep the hot streak going. Yeah, I reckon we're definitely going to talk about another bad decision-making heuristic. There's a good time. chance. There's a good chance that'll happen. Good chance. See you then.